You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with myself, Jonathan McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have SafeStore, Tesco's, Halfords, Persimmon, and Facebook. Sam, do you want to start us off with SafeStore? Yes, so SafeStore have released their full year results. And for anyone who doesn't know, SafeStore are a self-storage company with 125 UK locations, including 47 in London. They also have 38 stores in Europe, making them the UK's largest self-storage provider and Europe's second largest provider. And interestingly, they actually have a lowest price guarantee. So they, they guarantee they'll beat the price, the lowest price you can find by 10%. But anyway, they've released their full year results for the year ended 31 October 2020. They've announced revenue has increased by 6.9% from 151.8 million to 162.3 million. Free cash flow has increased by 12.4% from 61.2 million to 68.8 million. The closing occupancy percentage has increased from 77% to 79.5%. The operating profit has increased from 163 million to 212 million, which is a 29.6% increase. Profit before tax has increased by 34.4% from 147 million to 197 million. Diluted earnings per share has increased from 62.6p to 84p, which is a 34.2% increase. And the dividend has increased from 17.5p to 18.6p, which is a 6.3% increase. And the cash inflow from operating activities has increased by 13.7% from 66.6 billion to 75.7 million. They've announced like for like group revenue was up 3.4% for the year with the UK up 3.3%. And Paris up 3.8%. Underlying earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization is up 7.4%. They said the like for like closing occupancy was up to 80.8%, which was up 3.2% from the 77.6% in 2019. Like for like average occupancy for the year was up 2.3%. Like for like average storage rate for the year was up 2%. In terms of the strategic progress, they've announced 125,000 square feet of new storage in the UK with openings in London, Carsholt and Gateshead in Sheffield. Further new store openings scheduled at Paris, Magenta and Birmingham Midway in 2021. Extensions of the Bedford Parking and Chingford stores adding 37,000 square feet. They acquired development sites at London Bermondsey and London Park West Place. They acquired Fort Box self-storage with two London stores in November 2019. And on 30th December 2019, the group entered the Spanish self-storage market with the acquisition of OMB self-storage SL, which has four stores in Barcelona. They've also announced a joint venture with the Carlisle acquired Locobox in Belgium, which has six prime locations across Belgium and Opslag XL in the Netherlands. They've said the group's loan-to-value ratio is at 29% compared to 31% in October 2019. And the interest cover ratio is at 9, which is up from 
X last year. They've got unused bank facilities of 148 million at the year end and no borrowings to refinance before June 2023. So the CEO, Frederick Vecholi, said throughout much of the year, the pandemic has presented unprecedented challenges and I would like to thank our staff for the tremendous effort. Despite the pandemic, the group's business model demonstrated its resilience, resulting in another strong performance for the year. He said all geographies had performed well, with the UK showing particularly pleasing momentum. He said, despite ending the year with record levels of occupancy, the business still has 1.4 million square feet of currently on that space in our existing fully invested estate, representing a significant organic growth opportunity. Our leading market positions in the UK and Paris, in addition to our presence in Spain, through our joint venture in Netherlands and Belgium, combined with our balance sheet strength and resilient business model, leave us well positioned for the future. He said the strong performance of the final quarter continues into the first two months of the financial year. He said, whilst acknowledging the potential for disruption arising from current COVID-19 restrictions, the inherent resilience of our business model, as well as our recent and current trading, allow me to look forward with confidence to the 2021 financial year. So, John, thoughts on SafeStore? It's difficult. I mean, the numbers don't seem too bad. I'd probably just be questioning the, the industry a little bit more and whether I'd need to know a bit more, do a bit more due diligence, I think, on it. Uh, it's not a sort of company that I've ever really looked into prior to you sort of running through the figures today. You've done a little bit more digging on it. What What were your thoughts? So I quite like the business. And what, what's its current valuation? So in, it's currently got a market cap of 1.74 billion, PE ratio of 29 and a half, Dividend yield of 2.25%. In terms of the share price, they're actually, they're only slightly up for the year. I think it's, it's up about 7.89% compared to where it was a year ago, but that's after probably about a 40% drop in March and it's then slowly gone back to where it was. However, over five years, it's up 139%. Three years is up 69.19%. Two years, 56%. So the share price has obviously been very good. Yeah, so it's it's reflected in the valuation, really, isn't it? I think so. PE of just under thirty, I think, is quite pricey. I know that earnings have done very well, but revenue is only up seven percent, mm. and that that massive increase in operating profit. How sustainable is it? It's it's difficult. Yeah, I suppose it depends what how you see the the trend for self storage mm. as well. If you saw that we're sort of structurally moving to people having smaller homes and requiring more self-storage and it sort of being um, an accepted cost for them. Possibly you could say that the future profitability could be much greater, but if you don't see that trend happening, then I don't know how how long that that growth would be sustainable for. One thing I thought was quite interesting with safe storage is we looked at Big Yellow Group a couple of months ago. Big Yellow, safe storage is the largest self-storage provider in the UK, but the market cap is lower than big yellow groups. But yeah. the growth is about the same, which is a bit strange. I think I do quite like the industry. I think it makes a lot of sense. My issue is how do you differentiate one self-storage site from another? Because to me, I understand once you're in there, it's very difficult to move. But in terms of attracting new customers, I think the, the only thing they're really concerned with is probably price. So what's quite interesting about self-storage is if they are the biggest player in the UK market, they potentially have that 
that pricing power. So the fact that they can just say we're going to beat any competitor by 10%, if they can do that at a profit, they can potentially operate at levels that the competitors can't. And I think they're probably they're possibly a more attractive business because of it than their competitors are, especially when the competitors are trading at a higher valuation. No, sure. I uh, that I think that's very logical. I, I agree with you there. So does that mean that in if it's an industry that you're you, you don't say you sound that you like you might be quite interested in it? Would this be your pick for that sort of self storage play? I mean, I've only looked at this and Big Yellow Group last time, but <laughs> the two I, big the two big boys though. I prefer Safe Store to Big Yellow Group, definitely. Okay. Just just because I mean, it's a smaller valuation. The growth's about the same, and it's mm. the market leader. I don't I don't know why you'd pick one that wasn't the market leader, there needs to be a reason why you're not picking the market leader, in my opinion. And I think maybe I'm missing something, but I don't understand why you would pick Big Yellow Group over Safe Store. Yeah. Based no, on uh, what we've looked at. What we've looked at, yeah. If you do if you do know, do uh, message us on Twitter. Yeah, because we, <laughs> if there's something we're missing, we would be interested. Yeah. But I, I thought it looked like quite a nice business. It's just that a PE ratio of 29, I'd expect those results to be sustained and I don't know if they are going to be sustained and whilst I think it's going to be a growing market I don't know if they're going to have another year I don't know if, do you think Covid's been good for self-storage it's I don't know I, I don't I don't see that it I could be wrong but I don't see that it would have been particularly impacted mm. the self-storage market yeah it's, it's very difficult to say I think it'd be more independent than other sectors really yeah but I'd, I'd be, I like it and I'd, I'd certainly follow it, but I wouldn't be buying it at a price range of 29 at the minute. I think maybe if, if it grew into that, the current valuation or if that PE ratio came down at some point, I'd, I'd maybe have another, there is a price at which I'd be interested in it, but a price range of 29 for me is it's probably just a bit, a bit too much. much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So should we move on to Tesco next? Yeah, so Tesco's. So Tesco's, it's had a very good year. They had their Q3 and Christmas trading update, and they've revealed that in the headline figures, they've had an extra £1 billion of online sales after delivering 7 million orders in the six weeks before Christmas. That's an increase of more than 80%. And earlier in the year with the first lockdown, they had a capacity to do about 300,000 orders a week. That's now increased to 1.5 million, which does include the click and collect. Like for like sales in its core UK supermarket business rose 8.1% over the six weeks to the 9th of January. And like for like sales in the longer 19 week period were up 7.2%, total sales up 7.6% to 14.69 billion. And it was interesting as well that there's an increase of 14% in sales of the premium, their sort of finest range of foods, which have a greater margin on them. Saying that, it sounds like it's been a fantastic year, which it's been a good year, I think. They have had increased costs of 810 million in total to account for coronavirus. And relating to the last lockdown it's been 85 million which is involved hiring an extra 46,000 staff and that's also not to mention that they've been giving full pay to about 10% of their workforce which is about 30,000 people who are on the sick at the moment which obviously includes um, COVID. 
they've also said that along with the other supermarkets, they're going to be returning £585 million that they got through the business rates relief back to the taxpayer. So retail operating profit is likely to be very similar to it how it was last year. In terms of the dividend, they've said that they're going to return £5 billion to shareholders through a special dividend, and that's following the sale of the Thai business, which used to be the jewel in Tesco's sort of uh, empire, retail empire, as it were. And that's, they brought in 8.2 billion from the sale of that. So at least part of it is going to be returned to shareholders through a special dividend. On the day of the results, shares were down about 1%. And year, um, well, sorry, not year to date, but in the past 12 months, the shares are about similar, they're down at about 2%. Uh, but you know, very similar. The market, uh, the PE is, it's distorted a little bit if you include the sale of the Thai business, it would be about 21. I think with the Thai business included, it goes down to about 13, which includes the one-off sale of the Thai business. Its market cap is 23.6 billion at the moment. It's Britain's largest supermarket. And it, the business has changed, I think, um, a lot over the last five or six years. With the out after the outgoing chief executive Dave Lewis focus went back to a, a, a focus on the core business in the UK, got rid of the American arm, got rid of uh, as we've just well very recently as we've just seen with the Thai business and it, I mean Tesco it did expanded into cafes it was buying gyms before he arrived and then it sort of all culminated in the accounting scandal. I suppose it was trying to be this monolith that did everything. And now it has returned to the focus on the domestic groceries. And we've seen that unprofitable lines in the store have been cut. And there's been really a, a great focus to improving its core business, which I think it's Dave Lewis was largely successful with. I think it's and Sir it's, Dave. Sir Dave Lewis now. Oh, sorry. It? Sorry. <laughs> Services to Tesco's. I'll just check that. <laughs> <laughs> so it certainly looks despite not being the cheapest supermarket yeah, it's it, Sir Dave it, uh, Sir Dave Lewis he was known as uh, Drastic Dave when he arrived uh, when he came, came in from Unilever but he's certainly done a good job of turning the business around and it looks like it's in a much healthier state and possibly the healthiest state although they're not the cheapest of any of the UK supermarkets do you like it as a business Sam? I think we, we have brought it up on the podcast before I went back to the last episode where we actually covered it properly i know we've we've talked about it in comparison to other supermarkets a few times and it went into the fantasy portfolio as well but last time we talked about it properly it was the half year results and they, they just reported a 28.7 percent rise in pre-tax profits food sales up 9.2 percent online sales up 69 percent delivery slots have been increased from 650k to 1.5 million dividend was increasing clothing and fuel was down operating profits were down 15 percent uh, largely due to due to the banking division and food, like flight sales were up 9.2%. So really, it's more of the same. I think the only downside in what's happened this time is that it's unfortunately more of the same from the banking division as well. Mm. So that's, I don't know if you mentioned, but sales down 27% to $261 million and they expect a loss of 175 to $200 million for the full year. I, I do like it. I do like the business a lot. The bank is fortunately a relatively small part of it, but I would prefer it without the bank. But no, I, I do like it. I think the only the only issue with it for me is just the valuation, but it's still attractive. It's interesting though, because we've 
the 10 year price to earnings is about 14 and it's it's probably about 21 now but i guess that that 10 year price to earnings includes a significant period where tesco had been underperforming yeah massively so so i think it's the forward trajectory looks more positive so yeah. I, I don't it's not cheap but i don't think it's unreasonable and the dividend yield prospective yield 3.8% and i don't think that even includes the special dividend from the sale of the tie business so no i don't know that's right that's right so, so no i i like it it's continuing to deliver uh, the only downside for me are the banking division and the fact that the performance is reflected in the price but <laughs> it is yeah. you've just got to pay up for it unfortunately don't you that's right that's right okay good so next on the list we've got halfords how are the results of halfords so or the trading update i should say so halfords have released a q3 trading update for anyone who doesn't know halfords are the uk's largest retailer of motoring and cycling products and they also do car servicing so interestingly they actually said on the website the car servicing market is highly fragmented so they're They've only got a 2% market share, but there's no clear market leader. So they've identified that as an opportunity for growth. And they've said as well, they're trying to focus on building a service-focused business. And in the medium term, they want half their revenues to come from service-related work rather than the sales of actual products. So in terms of the Q3 statement, they've said their third quarter revenue rose 11.5% and 10% for the year to date, which included the group's best ever Christmas week. That reflected a 30.5% increase in the auto centre and a 7.7% increase in retail revenue. And those are up 35.6% and 5.5% for the year to date. The group saw particularly positive results from online cycling sales and the Halfords mobile expert proposition. Despite the strong recent performance, the group warned that lockdown three could dent fourth quarter performance. And as a result, the group hasn't issued full year guidance. So like for like retail sales were up 11.7%, driven by a 35.4% increase in cycling sales. Demand for adult mechanical e-bikes and e-scooters remained strong despite, despite supply chain issues affecting availability. Motoring sales fell 8.4% as UK traffic volumes were 25% below pre-pandemic levels. Auto centre sales growth reflected the group's first company-wide motoring campaign and the continued expansion of Halford's mobile expert. Like for like, auto center sales rose 21.1%. For anyone who doesn't know, the mobile, the new mobile expert offering, that basically means that Halford will send technicians straight to your door if you need anything doing for your car. Service-related sales rose 31% in the quarter despite lower traffic volumes and online sales rose 76%. Sales to businesses rose 44%, which reflected growth in the cycle to work schemes and the auto center fleet business. They've shut 33 of their sites since November 19, which includes 22 Cycle Republic stores. The group said they intend to shut a further 47 stores and garages before the end of the financial year. And this is expected to deliver annual benefits of £6 million a year but with an upfront cost of 25 to 30 million. In terms of the valuation, they're valued at £595 million. The shares are trading at £3 a share exactly. They are up 105% for the year, in the past year, 29% in the past two years. 
they're down 16% in the past three years and 10% over the past five years. The company is trading at a price to earnings ratio of 11.7, and that compares to a 10-year average of 11.5. In terms of the financials for the past five years, revenue has been relatively steady. There's been a slight increase of about 15% over over that five-year period. Over that period as well, the long-term trend for earnings looks like it's actually been downwards. There has been a, a very significant upturn in the current financial year. Historically, the balance sheet has been very strong, but they, they have taken on a significant amount of debt in 2020. Thoughts on Halfords, John? Obviously, it's been a good 2020. I'm not sure how long those trends would would continue for, given what's happened in 2020 and those sort of the attraction to buy push bikes, to buy sort of outdoor gear. I don't, I'm not convinced that that's going to work for Halfords going forwards or not to the, to the degree that it did in this sort of last year, which was quite different. Um, in terms of the car servicing business that you mentioned, again, my understanding of the sort of the or limited understanding of the UK car market was most cars are sold on finance and in those sort of PCP deals that a lot of people have that they'll then have sort of almost a plan with the garage, whether it's, let's say, a BMW, Mercedes, whatever it might be, garage, that the car will then be serviced there for the 48 months or 36 months that they might have the finance deal for. So they wouldn't necessarily be looking independently in the sort of car service market. And I wondered whether that was the reason that it is quite fragmented and probably affiliated with whoever the uh, car or dealership that the car comes from. So I don't know how much, how easy it would be for Halfords to penetrate that at all. I'd have thought it would might be more just people buying used cars independently using that service. So it's actually a, a much smaller part of the market that they would be going for. And that's assuming that they'd have some success in chasing that part of the market. I don't know what the quality of the services from Halfords are like and how competitively they are priced on that either. So I, I maybe a little bit more sceptical on the room for growth in that. But yeah, you, the, the numbers this year have been really pretty special. I just don't know that it could be repeated. What do you think? Well, I think if we'd looked at the business a year ago, I don't think we'd have been very impressed at all. I think like long long term, it seems to be trending downwards. And whilst there might have been some optimism for the for the mobile expert offering, I agree with what you said. I think you know the two percent market share. Whilst you can look at that and say, oh, well, there's a there's lots of room for growth. It it is a very fragmented market. So you don't at some point they might hit they might hit a wall. And it, it looks like an all right business. It looks like they're doing the things you'd expect them to be doing in their position. But I don't think there's anything particularly special about it. And I don't think there's any I just think there's much better places where I'd invest my money yeah no I, I would agree with you there anything any more comments any more thoughts on Halfords I don't think so no no all right so next we've got another house build we've had quite a few house builders but it's the Q4 trading update from Persimmon Persimmon is one of the biggest UK house builders and it's one of the uh, 
UK house builders that doesn't have any property or any houses that it sells within London. It's all sort of uh, peripheral. But they revealed that the revenue fell less than 10%, despite all of the disruption caused by the first national lockdown, when the sites were, or many of its sites were temporarily closed. Revenue was at 3.3 billion after selling 13,575 homes compared with 3.65 billion selling 15,855 homes in 2019. So it is slightly down, but you know, not, not what you'd expect in most sectors that have been much worse hit by COVID. The other thing that was very positive was that the average sale price was up to £230,500 in 2020, compared with £215,709 in 2019. Not unsurprisingly, but there was big pent-up demand and house sales were up 39% in the second half of the year. And that's obviously a combination of the market essentially being shut down earlier in the year and also the government introducing the stamp duty holiday. The order book has been built up to a value of $1.7 and price to earnings is about 12, 12 to 13 Profits expected, or but not confirmed yet, obviously, expected to be about £850 million when it issues the final year result. Uh, sorry, the, yeah, when it issues, issues its final, uh, final results. So it looks pretty healthy, certainly in a much, much better shape than it was uh, after the last recession in 2008. What do you think of Persimmon, Sam, as a business? I mean, we've talked a lot about the house builders in generally and where we think we are with that, but... Do you have any specific thoughts on Persimmon? Yeah, so for this statement, I mean, obviously they've, they've talked about Q4 and then also their expectations for the full year. For the full year, I think that they are pretty good results. Q4, I don't think that's as good as Q3 was. So last time they said the Q3 sales were 38% higher than the previous year. I think they gave a figure of about 39%. So that's about the same. So they, they said they were going to spend $325 million on land purchases last time, and they've spent $330 million, so pretty much what they said. So they bought 6,700 new plots across 33 locations, and that includes $220 million of deferred commitments. So again, they are, they are behaving quite cautiously, as they were last time. They said last time they were fully sold up for the remainder of 2020, and they had $3.66 billion forward sales which was 43 percent higher than last year that's come down now to 1.7 billion of forward sales which is only up 27 percent forward year i guess you can't expect those that level of increase to be sustained but it does indicate we're sort of coming back down to normal i think it is quite good that they're actually they're building at the same rate they were pre-pandemic i, I do particularly like persimmon at the moment just because i think management have gone about They've gone about, they seem to have a very cautious management, which I think is quite appropriate for the current climate. And they said, as so they said as well that 31 to 720, they had 1.2 billion in cash and an untapped 300 million pound revolving credit facility, facility. And that's up from 900 million of cash on the balance sheet last in Q3 and after they committed 325 million to land sales. So I, I think there's a lot to like. I think the management are doing a good job. I think if I was to pick a house builder, it's, they'd certainly be one of the front runners. Although I did like Barrett developments, I think that we looked at mm. last week. My only issue 
is the PE ratio. I think it's I think it's quite pricey given where we are in the cycle. But I say the same thing every year, every week. Yeah. I guess what I would say about it is that prospective dividend yield of eight point four percent is very very attractive. Yeah. So it does it does reward you for that. Yeah, I, and I, I do I do think that management are doing. I do I do really like the way management are approaching it. I don't mm. I don't like Taylor Wimpy's management style as much. I think they were, they were much more aggressive in terms they of land purchase, yeah. and it paid off in fairness to them. But I I prefer the cautious approach that Persimmon took. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we'll just have to see in the long term which one pays off. Yeah, although they'll probably just move together to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> totally into no. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's another house builder covered, and we had discussed Persman before and sort of compared the approach of Taylor Wimpy to Persman back a couple of months ago. So I think not much more to be said on that at the moment. We'll see what the final results are like. The American company this week is Facebook. Sam, do you want to lead on this? Yep. So we've decided to go for a. A bit of a hidden gem this week. <laughs> a company that not many people will have heard of. So Facebook have been in the news, along with Twitter, actually, because they have banned the US President Donald Trump from the platform indefinitely. And they've put that down to his efforts to incite violence at the US Capitol, which is what Mark Zuckerberg said. Zuckerberg said that a one-day ban imposed on Trump's accounts on Facebook and Instagram was in- extended because of Trump's use of the platform to incite violent insurrection against a democratically elected government. Zuckerberg then wrote on his Facebook page, we believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. Therefore, we are extending the block we have placed on his Facebook and Instagram accounts indefinitely and for at least the next two weeks until the peaceful transition of power is complete. And he's also been permanently banned from Twitter now. So that's really the the main news. I don't think Facebook really reacted at all to that. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on it, John, in terms of does it does it make any difference to Facebook whether or not Trump's on there? Obviously, we're not getting political. It's just purely from a business perspective. Do you think there's any change as a result of this? Is there any impact? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And I would wonder whether it, Facebook and Twitter's decision to to get involved politically and as they've sort of banned or suspended the accounts, whether that would sort of lead to perhaps more regulation of them. Because at the moment, I suppose they are self-regulating and they would presumably say this is an example of self-regulation. But whether they do wield too much power, which has been sort of an ongoing debate, and whether it would lead for increased calls of either breaking them up or having a bit more sort of regulation of social media platforms. That was think, sort of an, an, an initial thought. I'm sure in you know the short term, it's probably not going to make much difference to the companies in terms of their growth or their earnings. But um, in the longer term, I wonder whether it does bring them back into the political debate a bit more. I think it would bring them back in, certainly the next time we've got a Republican in office. Yeah. I, I can't see the Democrats coming in now and that's probably, I mean, Biden and the Democrats would probably view it as quite a good thing that they've done. But I don't, I don't think the Republicans would maybe all share that same view. So I think it's a, it's a problem. Like it's, the consequences might not really be seen for four or eight years. Yeah, I, I don't know. That is the well, answer. 
it's um, interesting because in terms of the valuations, Facebook, there wasn't really any movement. But Twitter, I think that was down about 6% on the day yeah. because Trump is obviously a much, I think he's probably like a much bigger driver of engagement for Twitter than he is for Facebook. Yeah. And I, I probably agree. I think it probably is. There are probably are larger consequences for Twitter than for Facebook. Because I think people, a lot of the time, they do go on Twitter to find out what is happening right now. And the fact that the president, albeit the outgoing one, is able to just communicate directly unfiltered through that, I think it's been a, it's probably been quite a big driver of engagement and users for Twitter in the last four years. I don't think it's really been the same for Facebook. No, that's right. And I suppose Twitter as well, it does to a degree rely on some sort of controversy and mm. controversial debate um, and people having that through Twitter. So being a, um, a president that does stimulate a lot of debate, having him off there and perhaps themselves regulating more for the content that they rely on, whether it's good or bad, um, and the advertising associated with that. From a numbers point of view, you do wonder whether it's uh, actually going to be helpful for them. Mm. And I think it does bring this, you know, the scrutiny of regulation and the fact that uh, with sort of free free speech issues, whether that's going to sort of raise its head again. Yeah. So I did then go on to actually have a look at Facebook a bit more. So Facebook is currently trading at a market cap of seven hundred and fifteen billion dollars. Yeah. Which only puts it at a price to earnings ratio of 28. If you look at the, the actual figures, so the year ended 31 December 2017, revenue was $40.6 billion. That's increased in the trailing 12 months to $73.3 billion. Gross profit in 2017 was 35 billion. That's increased to 59.9 billion. So although the margin has come down slightly because they're spending more on like security and I think also like actually policing what's going out on the platform a bit more. Mm. That gross profit percentage is massive. I know that Zuckerberg has said multiple times that growth is going to slow, but I don't think, you know, 10% a year earnings growth is an unreasonable expectation, especially when you look at what Google has been able to do for the past 10 or 15 years. And I think it, there's probably a reasonable chance it could even exceed that in some years. But at price to earnings of 28, I think it looks very, very cheap. Yeah, I, I would tend to I tend to agree with you on that. And it's got all of the brands underneath it, um, like you know Instagram being probably the biggest. It's a fantastic company from a yeah. Yeah, business point of view. You can sort of judge the ethics of it uh, as you like. But yeah, from a business point of view, it's very impressive. Just, just prints money, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And then okay. the, have you seen the Oculus? Have you seen any adverts for that? Um, is it mainly for, is it, it's VR, isn't it? It's VR, yeah. It's the headset you put on. But I've seen a yeah. lot of positive reviews around that. Oh, really? Version okay. of it. I've seen a lot of people. Is it, it, is it purely for video games or uh, can you use it with anything else? I don't know, to be honest. Um, have a look. Here we go. Here's five things you can do with the <laughs> VR headset, apart from gaming. Apart from gaming. So you can use it for architecture. Okay, yes, yeah. 
It says you can use it for art. Okay. So you can like enter the you can actually like look at the paintings a lot closer. Medicine. So there we go. That's right up your street. Okay. Yeah. So here we are. apparently in January, doctors in Florida used the Google cardboard headset to save the life of a baby. Oh wow. Okay. Former fold Tegan Lex can needed heart surgery, <laughs> but doctors didn't have the confidence because 2D images of her body couldn't provide enough detail. However, by converting the, her MRI scans into a 3D model and viewing it through Google Cardboard, they managed to develop a <laughs> complex strategy for the operation and rebuilt part of her heart in a seven-hour procedure. Wow. Uh, you can use it for therapy. Yeah. And right. tourism, apparently. Tourism, okay. I'm not so sure but about it, that it, last it, one. But fairly niche at the moment, anyway. It is, yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess shopping... I guess it'd be quite good for that. Yeah, online. If you thought about yeah, online shopping, that would be a, yeah another practical application of it. Yeah. Okay, then. So of the five companies we've talked about today, so SafeStore, Tesco, Halfords, Persimmon, and Facebook. If you had to have one, which one would it be? I would be very tempted by Facebook. Does and that mean you're going with it? I'm going with it. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have put you. I'd actually. I thought you'd pick Tesco. I I do, I, own, I do own Tesco's, and I'm not opposed to having more Tesco stock. But um, uh, no, I think probably Facebook. I'd pick Facebook as well, actually, especially at a price range of twenty eight. I think that's especially when you look at cheap. Like, especially when you look at all the other valuations for US tech. I mean, yeah, if, it, no. if it didn't have any earnings, it'd probably be trading at ten times that valuation. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's crazy, isn't it? Okay, right. Well, thank you very much for listening and do get in touch through Twitter. Look forward to seeing you next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.